Yo! Thank you so much for hanging out with us here on the House of L podcast. I'm excited because we have a new presenting sponsor. This is what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is I've been finding really cool companies to partner with this podcast who can see the vision of this podcast. And there is some pun intended when I say vision because I am happy to announce that Zenny Optical is going to be a sponsor of the House of L podcast. Isn't that wonderful? It, it's so great. Go to zennyoptical.com, Z-E-N-N-I optical. You should check out, especially with all of us doing all this stuff from home, the Blocks blue light glasses that they have. So I am working with them right now on some new frames. I'm going to be doing some stuff with them on Twitter like we did during White Sox season. We do some stuff with them during Bull season, and I'm very happy to have them on board with the podcast. So this is our maiden voyage with Zenny Optical, and we could not be happier. Like I said, if you want to get some inexpensive frames for glasses, you know I wear glasses, and it can cost a lot of money to wear glasses. ZennyOptical.com. Go check it out. Go look. Like, be stylish. Find yourself some some stylish frames. Like most of their frames are are in the twelve to fifteen dollar range, and they look fantastic. So Zenny Optical is our new name sponsor for the House of L podcast, which is tremendous. We got more sponsors too, which is great. The podcast is growing, and that means it allows me to do different things, and I get to put people in position to do stuff for the podcast, and and it's a lot of fun for me. As I've been trying to tell you, the, the idea of this podcast is to continue to grow, to give people space, to do things that they want to do, especially people who I know what they're about. Like, I know how good they are at their job it gives them a space to do some of the things that that they want to do with their their with this space like they get to get the opportunity to have a little bit of fun or do something serious or do something in long form which we don't always get to do sometimes we sometimes we have the things that we have to do for shows or bosses but you'd rather take your time and and do some more long form stuff and that's what I hope House of L does for the people that are are involved with it I hope that it gives them a chance to explore things in long form that they couldn't do on other platforms and JJ Stankovitz is one of those people like I I adore JJ like Straight up and down. I adore him. And I'm glad that he, when I said to him, listen, I, I want you to do some stuff for House of L because I think you're really good. You're good at interviewing. You're good at your craft. You know everything about what's going on with the Bears. So I wanted to give him an opportunity to to spread his wings a little bit 
and do some of this long form stuff. And he was nice enough to do this stuff for me. And it's appreciated. I'm going to explain to you this episode coming up in a minute. But as I said, we do have sponsors. We want to take care of them. And we really want you to take care of the people that take care of this podcast. Okay. Zinni Optical, now that they're on board, which is terrific, and our buddy David Hochberg. If you're looking to refinance your existing home, you need to do what I did, call Team Hochberg. I actually did. I worked with David on my house and my condo, so he he can help you. Doris, 78, loaded with debt and barely making it financially off her Social Security and deceased husband's pension. Doris was overwhelmed because her late husband handled the finances, so she called Team Hochberg for a free consultation. Team Hochberg helped Doris pay off her debt with a cash-out refinance. She was able to afford renovations to make her home safer to live, build an emergency fund, and reduced her payments over $800 a month. So let's review. Before calling, Doris was stressed out and struggling to pay her bills. After calling Team Hochberg, Doris was debt-free, made modifications to safely live in her home, built an emergency fund, and she saved a bunch of money, $9,000 a year. Team Hochberg has helped thousands on my podcast. A bunch of listeners that listen to this podcast, he's helped them like Doris. He's helped them rearrange their finances after the death of their spouse, but they cannot do it if you don't call. This is the most important part. Write this number down, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. You can also tune into the Home Sweet Home Chicago show hosted by David Saturday mornings from 10 until 1 on WGN Radio. Homeside Financial, an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So I kind of leave the interviewing to me. Like, this is my thing. It's what I do. No, that's not true. I do like to sit down and talk with people. But I trust JJ to sit down and talk with people, too. And he interviewed one of my favorite people in journalism. And someone who has meant a lot to me professionally and personally. John Moon Mullen, his career, like... If you can imagine, like every, every writer feels like they have this incredible backstory on how they became a writer. Everyone thinks that they're Mark Twain, you know? Moon actually has one. And he downplays it. Like He's accomplished a lot in life. And he downplays it. Along with covering the Bears, like he's worked in the financial industry. He's written a bunch of books. I'm pretty sure he's like wrestled, wrestled a bull. Like imagine if Ernest Hemingway was strictly like a sports writer for three decades. Then you got Moon Mullet. He also teaches. He was nice enough to have me talk with one of his classes over at DePaul. He gave me the best compliment I've ever gotten in my career. It's a compliment that sticks with me today. I had gotten to a point where I was actually breaking news covering the Bears, that I was getting quotes that other people weren't getting, that sort of thing. And he said that I had, I had reached dangerous man status. And 
that is him being gracious in a way that he did never had to be gracious like that. And I appreciated it. Honestly, it it propelled me to do more, to be to try and be good, to try and be better. And so I I thank him wholeheartedly for seeing that I was out there working and trying to get better and and offering just a little bit of praise. It went a long way to helping me continue to build my career. We had the chance to work with Moon over at NBC Sports Chicago. For a while, like, me, him, and JJ were all teammates, which was weird and cool. Like, it was great. And Moon's, he's been struggling over the last year or so. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to scoop the interview. I'm going to let JJ tell you more and Moon tell you more about that. But he's wonderful. And I'm glad that JJ sat down with him because it's clear that he holds him in the same level of esteem that I hold him. So I'm glad that he did this. I'm glad that you're going to listen to it. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate you supporting our sponsors. I know I sound like Channel 11 right now. But you have to understand that these deals that I've done with Team Hochberg and the deal that I did with Zenny is going to allow me to give you more cool episodes like this where I can just do the intro and get out of the way and let interesting people talk. So I'm going to do that right now. This week on House of L, John Moon Mullen is the guest interviewed by our guy, J.J. Stankovitz. Hey, everyone. I'm J.J. Stankovitz back here on the House of L Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at J.J. Stankovitz. Subscribe to the House of L Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Lawrence Holmes for giving me an opportunity to do another podcast here, and last week I had my old podcast partner on the Undercenter podcast, Cam Ellis, on. Well, I wanted to talk to my other old podcast partner on the Undercenter podcast and someone who has been an an absolute inspiration to me not only over the last year or so, but ever since I met him way back when I was an intern at CSN Chicago. So John Moon Mullen, the great John Moon Mullen, one of the... the, uh, the best Bears beat writers out there for a number of years is joining me here on the podcast. Now, Moon, if you want to let the listeners know, uh, what are you doing right now? Oh, you know, it's been an interesting, well, 12 to 15 months for all of us with COVID. Um, But I'm not sure how many know that uh, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, in November of uh, 2019. So actually, I'm literally uh, getting treated uh, in chemotherapy for that and uh, fingers and toes and eyes and prayers and everything crossed. Um, yeah, just uh, kind of a, a big life setback. So it's uh, you know, getting treatment for it. And it's one of those things, unfortunately, they don't have the silver bullet yet. But uh, you buy time with uh, with chemo and yeah, I'm part of a, a, a unfortunate fraternity we, we wish you didn't belong to. But uh yeah, I've been blessed in so many ways, and uh, working with you has been one of those things. And you read that intro just the way I wrote it, so that's great. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, Moon didn't pay me to write that. But, Moon, I, you know, I've talked with you over the last, you know, it's been a year plus now since you mm-hmm. you kind of let me know, you know, hey, I got diagnosed with panc- pancreatic cancer. And it to me, it's been remarkable how your outlook has, has been through this whole thing. I. You know, I don't know. You know, if you've had some dark moments here and there, um, but just how has 
being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, how has it changed your your perspective on life? Yeah, that's you know, it's really a. Um, and there's a lot of cliches that come up or that get thought of in those kind of things, but you know, JJ, it really. Um, I have not had as many evil, dark. Oh my God, woe is me! Because first of all, I've, I've been wonderfully blessed in so many ways to begin with. Um, but I also had a number of different people, like Chuck Pagano, the, the Bears' former D coordinator, and Chuck was a cancer uh, survivor, is a survivor. And for example, he gave me early on. He said, "Moon, live the cir- live the vision, not the circumstances. Live the vision, not the." Circumstances, and I thought, you know, that is a profound way to live. So I don't, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to not. If I don't beat this thing, I'm going to drive it back in a cave and keep it there until they get the silver bullet to kill it. Um, but little things like that, uh, I had about with uh, because of the cancer metastasized to my lungs and forced me into ICU for a week, and which was horrific. And I, but I knew I was going to come out of it. I just sort of saw, I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to, but, you know, Chuck's words have resonated. So that's, that's to me, that's a good way to live. And uh, Jay Glazer, my, one of my dearest buddies in the, in the business over at Fox, um, Glazer told me, he said, you know, said, Moon, I don't get out of bed in the morning, but I take 15 seconds or three minutes or whatever just to think of something I'm grateful for. And I thought, you know, that's another good way to live. And I say, you know, you sort of hit the, before you put your feet on the floor, you know, if you want to think about all the bad things that are going on with us, and God knows we've got them, and many people have worse stuff than I do. Um, so my perspectives have kind of gone, I've just look at myself and what, what works as a way to live. You know, I, I don't think about dying. I mean, it's, it's something's going to get us all in the end. It's kind of a zero-sum game in that respect. Uh, uh, so you know, there's only been a couple of really down periods, um, but I think adding to it, it could, it could not have picked a worse year to come down with pancreatic cancer with the, the pandemic. So all of a sudden we can't get together with friends and you know, it, it affects our jobs. And so we're all dealing with that. And, you know, 400 some thousand of us have, have lost our lives to it. So, um, you know, it's kind of an eclectic answer, JJ, just mm-hmm. how it affects you. But I've been fortunate enough to hear, hear a number of people or have buddies kind of offer some thoughts that are like, that's really good. I'm, I think, yeah, I am going to live the vision. I see myself beating this, and this thing may win, but it may not, it will not beat me. If that's the best way I think about it. What are some of the things you're grateful for, Moon? Like the, the things you think <sighs> about when you wake up in the morning. Oh, my, my, my wife, Carolyn, um, having people in our lives and my daughter, Jenny, um, who's in, in Columbus, Ohio, and we talk every week and FaceTime's made that, you know, a little, it's the people, I think 99% of it are, is, are, are people that I've been fortunate enough that, you know, fortunate enough to get the job I had for 30 some years covering the bears. Um, and the people I dealt with, you know, you, Melissa Isaacson, uh, Joe Collins over at, uh, at NBC, uh, Glaze. You know, there's so many. Ultimately, those are the beautiful flowers in life. I mean, people like, I, you know, it's not financial. And, I, you know, I do feel fortunate enough to have had a job for so long that we, 
we've probably joked you know, a lot of people would pay to do what we got paid to do. Um, so, you know, and, and honestly, JJ, just one other tweak to the whole thing. The, it was in December, right before Christmas, um, when I had to go into ICU because of breathing issues and my lungs had gotten inflamed. Um, and I knew I was going to come back from that. And when I did, it even gave a booster shot to that feeling of literally feeling like every day is a gift, every breath is a gift. And if you don't think about that, I don't know. It's, I think you're lucky if you feel grateful because it means you appreciate what you have. And I think that's, that is an overall perspective change. Um, you know, it's not saying, oh, I've only got two years to live or I've only got two months, whatever. You know, so I better hurry up and live fast. No, I don't have that. It's just more of an appreciation of of the little things and the big things that have come come my way in life. Like, you know, your babies and, and all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that transcend money, job, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the stuff that's the most the most important, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, talking to you throughout it, and you know, you were quite literally the second person I called after I got laid off. It was my wife, and then I'm like, I'm calling Moon because I know I know Moon is going to have some the the perspective I need to hear on this. Um, what have you been What have you been doing? I mean, like you know, I, you, you mentioned that every day is a gift, and, and you know, you really appreciate mm-hmm. it. But how is how have you taken that into what you've been doing? Whether it's been getting chemo or you know working as a ranger at the the country club or mm-hmm. going to watch a Bears practice, just you know stuff like that. Yeah, um, well, I teach I'm an adjunct professor at DePaul University in journalism, so I did a you know, and we had to do it virtual. So I was spending a lot of time working with the graduate students. Um, in that class, which was a, f- a tremendous experience, and then going through the election, um, you know, can't, can't, you know, a fair amount of reading, but I've also got a regimen of exercise that um, to keep you know my breathing, keep active. Um, so I really allocate some time every day to that. Um, so you're, you're sort of like your health becomes a part-time job. Um, and I boy, it's funny. What, what do we fill time with? And it's the funny part, JJ, is after a while, I, I didn't want to read because I felt like I was just filling time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of go in and out of uh, different periods of, you know, a good book would be really kind of fun. I got, you know, Barack Obama's biography given to me for Christmas, autobiography, and that was, you know, took me a couple of weeks to get through that just because it's a huge book. But, um yeah, it's hard to put my finger on it. Somehow the days, they didn't drag, um, even though we couldn't really get out much. Again, everybody, we're all kind of afflicted with the same thing. So, um, yeah, it was a, it, it's hard to see a rhythm. I, my sister is a longtime pickleball player. Mm-hmm. And even though I can't play, I know, you know, a couple days a week, I could drive over to the park um, where they were playing. And so I kind of enjoyed, you know, a couple hours watching sports <laughs> so um it's funny that's a good question what did i what did i do with myself for 15 months um but again I'm, I'm fortunate enough that um even now needing a little bit of supplemental oxygen for the time being at least uh i guess i'm still mobile as much as we can be mobile with the pandemic 
do you this is this is something I've struggled with. It's something I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have struggled with. The 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 sense of what's been lost in the pandemic. But with you having this very serious illness, pancreatic cancer, how do you approach that thought of what's been lost? Boy, that's um the biggest thing, honestly, and I think I may have mentioned, touched on it, is just not seeing buddies as much. I mean, I'm pretty social, and, and all of a sudden, it just we just couldn't grab a, let's go over to Starbucks and grab a, a, a mocha or something. Um, it's just kind of a loss of contact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny, maybe, maybe you or our listeners a lot. When we first started doing Zoom, it's like, hey, this is really cool. Well, after about two or three months of everything being on Zoom, it was like, oh, got another Zoom call. Uh-huh. Um, so you didn't have the feeling of really getting together with people. And I think that ultimately is what kind of drives life up if we're not really having creature contact. Yeah, I think that was be the biggest for me, the biggest thing lost, it wasn't, you know, gee, I can't go to my favorite restaurant. Well, mm-hmm. it wasn't as much that. It was I couldn't go to my favorite restaurant with some of my favorite peeps. So, uh, yeah, that's the thing that to me was lost. Well, I am glad that before the pandemic hit, this would have been oh, about a year ago, uh, all of us on the Bears Beat met up with you at Portillo's for lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, thinking about that, I was like, man, like, I guess the Combine, we were all kind of together as a beat, but you know, not completely the same. That was kind of the last time the Bears beat was really, like, together, together. Um, And, you know, just sitting around telling stories and talking about everything that's going on on the beat. Um, I I don't know. I I, I sensed from that, like, you you were very full, not just on your, you know, beef sandwich, but Mm -hmm. from just that experience and, and getting those little morsels of, social interactions um i have to imagine for you those are the things that you know really do kind of help you through this yeah i really do and it's funny you meant that i forgot about that was a really fun you know hooking up with everybody and you know some of the people aren't on the bears anymore either so um but i still remember when i first went on the beat which was late in the ditka era um i went from being in an office situation okay now i'm going to be on you know i'm going to be out there every you know we're all sharks looking for stories and yet it became, you know, Dan Pompey, uh, far from, you know, besides being a terrific competitor, Dan became a, a longtime buddy. In fact, I've talked to Daniel just last week. I mean, he's also a cancer survivor. So it turned out that a lot of you think, you know, competitors turned out to be friends. Uh, Fred Mitchell at the trip, uh, Melissa Isaacson at the trip when, you know, then eventually I went to work with her. Um, so, you know, Pat Finley, uh, Mark Potash, you know, guys at the Sun-Times that we compete with, it's social. You know how Hallis Hall was. I mean, it's a lot, lot of, you know, hijinks and you get your job, you, your work done, but there's no reason that, you know, you compete like heck, but it doesn't mean you can't be friends, too. I wanted to ask you about your experience on the Bears beat, just because, you know, Dan Pompey, obviously, the, the dean of the beat, uh, you know, a, a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. writer. But who were your your early influences? Because I, I know your career path, I don't know if the listeners know it, you started in the Mercantile Exchange, and then you got hired at the Daily Herald to be a business writer. Right. Mm-hmm. And then 
got on the Bears beat. Um, so, you know, that's not the, I guess, traditional path to becoming a <laughs> sports writer. Who, who influenced you early on, and, and where did that, that, the drive that allowed you to become, you know, Moon Mullen in this city, where did that come from? You know, honestly, it was, it was probably Pompeii was the number one, um, because I would get my, you know, Danny taught me how to do this job by kicking my butt every day. You know, I, I sort of opened the paper and it's like, oh, hell, how did he get that? Damn. And so it just made you want to work a little harder. And, I, you know, so I, um, you know, sometimes you can look at, you know, let's say there's a scoop and, you know, you know the experience. I mean, shoot, how did he get that? How did, how did they? And, and your first reaction sometimes is, oh, the PR people fed it to him. I thought, no, nah, I don't think so. Somehow he's doing something right. And so he was probably the single biggest influence. And my goal would be each day, okay, I just want to get, you know, we're doing notebooks, which have maybe anywhere from three to seven items, we'll say. And my goal every day was to get one item that Danny didn't have. Um, and, you know, some days it would be like the, maybe the number six item. And all of a sudden maybe, okay, oh, my number two item is pretty good today. And then, or my lead. And and maybe eventually I got something one day, you know, an interview or a, a scoop that Danny didn't have, and uh, you know, he'd abuse me about it. Uh, actually, we sat literally sat next to each other, so I kind of learned the job by in the, uh, by getting my butt kicked. <laughs> but I learned from each one of those experiences. And then I think you know Don Pearson uh, mm-hmm. retired from the Tribune, um, also kind of the, another one of those dean of the beats kind of things. Um, was real inspirational about learning to do your own. There's a lot of stats out there, but guys like Don Pearson and Pompey and the good ones, they're the ones who create those stats. Sometimes you find, so I think we even talked about this, you know, let's look for, you know, what's a nugget in the, you know, the weekly release from a team. What's, what's in there? Ooh, let me see if I can connect some dots here. And all of a sudden you come up with not just a, a good stat, but a good story. And I think those, those kind of things, showed me how this job can be done. Don't just follow the pack, but, you know, don't go into every day with plan B. Okay, I can always do that if I don't have anything, but then look for plan A. And that just made me hungry every day to get, uh, try to get something that Pompeii or Fred Mitchell or the uh, my competitors didn't have. Who are some of your favorite players to talk to? Not, not, to, not to interview, not to cover, mm-hmm. but just like the, the personalities and the players who you got to enjoy from you know, the, the end of the Ditka era all the way to the start of the Maggie era. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, uh, I'll kind of work backwards. I mean, the, some of the guys right now that I miss uh, chatting with were Akeem Hicks, who I always consider him uh, Mufasa, like the Lion King. <laughs> uh, he was kind of the philosopher king, and, uh, you know, Akeem and I just, and it wasn't always about, uh, uh, we were sitting down back, you know, the D-line corner of the locker room, um, and all of a sudden, one day, one of the players comes over and he said, hey, you've been married before. And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, t- t- tell me about prenuptial agreements. <laughs> so we, we, we would have these conversations. I mean, they were really of substance. You know, some, sometimes people like, to, you know, the cameras would come over like, oh, maybe there's an interview we should get in on. And then come over and find out we're, we're just we're talking about significant life things and everybody was chiming in with advice those kind of things i really kind of miss and akeem was a big part of that i really enjoyed leonard floyd who really was not a, a you know a magpie on on camera but I, you know, just as a person i liked leonard a lot um danny trevathan and i traded salmon recipes um <laughs> yeah, um cody whitehair um 
kind of talking with him about uh, having his babies and or not him having his kids and stuff. Um, but you know, Jim Miller stands out as one of the most enjoyable that I ever had the good fortune to cover. Um, you know, Trace Armstrong, even going back into another era. Some guys in Trace is now very successful. I think he's Matt Nagy's agent. Nagy's agent, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, just, but if I think about it, just I've been fortunate that there were so many good, enjoyable people, even though the football wasn't always so good. I think I only covered about nine winning seasons in 30 years. So um, it had to be the people that were enjoyable. Um you know, Clyde Simmons, you know, occasionally I was playing some golf with Clyde Simmons. Um, but, yeah, I think they, I'm trying to think of there's some others I'm forgetting about, unfortunately. That, um, But, you know, the ones that you kind of go in the locker room and if you, if you had nothing. Oh, I mean, Nick Kwiatkowski. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to see Nick. Uh, Nick is from Pittsburgh, actually, in an area that I lived in in Pittsburgh. So, um the conversations were not about football most of the time. And you'd kind of, you know, you take out your recorder and pen, you know, pen and pad and say, listen, okay, now it's on the record. Can I ask you about mm, the Lions or whatever? But um, I had the good fortune of a lot of people, you know, guys like like Akeem. And uh, again, I'm even going back to guys like Brian, late, the late Brian Robinson and Ted uh, Ted Washington, uh, Erlacher, Brian, Brian and I. Um, Talked to, I didn't actually attempt to talk to Brian. I think the last time was it is after his Hall of Fame thing. You know, we had some long talks after that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, the friendships. I mean, like you're saying, big picture about what we've lost. I mean, that's kind of the thing I miss is sometimes the people. Uh, I enjoy, I still stay in touch with John Fox. I mean, people may not like him as a coach or how he was with the media, but as a guy, uh, in fact, I think Pompey even told me last week he, was, he, he and Fox, he just had dinner down in Monaco. So you, that's the fun, you know, that's the fun of the job is the people ultimately. So Moon, one of my favorite things with you was when I first got on the beat in 2017, I, it was kind of a transition where you were kind of moving into a part-time columnist, you know, almost mm-hmm. like an insider emeritus role. Right. Um, and I remember that first combine we did together. You just introduced me to everyone, and as it turned out, you knew everyone at the combine. Um, <laughs> been to a few. Been, been to a few, yeah. I, and you know, I wanted to ask you about just the, like the evolution of the game in, in certain things, not necessarily the play on the field, but the combine is one of those things I remember you talking about how it started, and it was just kind of like nothing, right? Yeah. And oh then it, it's it's now turned yeah. into this money making thing for the league. Mm-hmm. Is this has has the league as a product improved since you've started covering it from you know ni- the early nineties to now, or have some of the improvements maybe not been beneficial? I, I don't know how to quite phrase yeah. that, but just uh, what have you seen in terms of that the, the progress? If it's been all good progress or not? You know, I, it's easy to beat up Roger Goodell and beat up the uh, the Shield and the NFL and they, you know, everybody does. Large organizations have their uh, their faults and their stumbles and so forth. But you know, it, it's funny. The, the, it's funny we picked the combine because that is one of those things that I thought when I first started covering it, they didn't want the media there. I mean, and I'm, I'm forgetting the guy Duke Bab or someone. I forget the name that who was really running it. But it was created for teams as an intense 
single location scouting operation where you could get all the medical and um, they really so there might be 10 or 15 of us total from around the country and I think three of us were you know like like uh, Don Don Pearson and Pompey and I um, would be would be there three of us would be from Chicago but you know, I can remember, you know, Rick Goslin from Dallas and, and Bob Glauber from New York and uh, Sam Farmer from L.A. And there was just a little cast of characters, um, you know, John Clayton, I remember. Um, but <laughs> we were kind of confined to a, the lobby of a, and it was a small lobby of a uh, Holiday Inn in the train station. <laughs> All the you know the players had to come by there, but you didn't know who they were because they really weren't identified. Um, so you'd be interviewing people and kind of looking over, you know, Clayton. Be say, Moon, who is this guy? <laughs> we're interviewing people who didn't know who they were, but you got to you have to get the interviews when you could grab them. But so it went from there, as you say. Now it is a mega event, and all of a sudden, you know, we're down in the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium with you know thirteen hundred of our closest friends. Um, and the NFL realized, and this kind of is a bigger answer to what the league has become, Goodell and, and the whole, they've realized, wow, football is arguably America's game, you know, more than baseball, whatever, you can debate that. But um, I think they realized that, you know, in the middle of February, we got the Super Bowl. I mean, we can be, we can be on the front pages of the sports section, and then along in late February, early March, we got the combine. We can be on the front page, and then April comes the draft, and then there's minicamp. So the NFL realized, I think, a, a while ago, that uh, the sports pages needed them. So if they can space things out or properly market certain events. They can be on the front page of the sports section 11 or 12 months a year. And I think that is probably the biggest um, the biggest thing. I think when you're in the business, and you probably have had the same experience, you know, dealing with, the, you know, the PR and trying to get access or trying to get this or that. It can be a you know, tug of war sometimes. But to the reader and the listener, you know, it, it, it's entertainment. And... The more of that the NFL has been able to provide, I mean, like you can't fault that. I think it's kind of a diversion if you hate your job or whatever. It's kind of fun to pick up the paper, and you know, a lot of people still treat this, you know, the newspaper like a banana. You peel it to get to the sports section, um, and I think that's you know that's a, a kind of an important role. And I think the NFL has developed that, um, apart from you know things on the field and changes that way, but. Uh, I think the marketing of the league has been very well, very well done. Again, you can, you know, a lot of things to find fault with and how they handle this or how they handle discipline or whatever. Um, but as far as an overall, they kept a ship pointed in a, uh, an expanding direction. So where people, you know, people love, love the NFL, they love football. So you give them a big scoop of that every month and that's what people talk about at work. How about the, the how that has affected the job of a beat writer? Because you know when I came when I came on the beat, all I knew was this is year round, and mm-hmm. the off season is not really a thing. There are maybe four weeks between June and July where you just hope nobody gets arrested. Frankly, <laughs> right. Right. Um, but how did you? How did you, you know, adjust to the changing landscape? Because you know, you start off as a newspaper writer, you you kind of were the.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The big hire at CSN Chicago um, back in what, that would have been 2009? Mm-hmm. Yep. To do, to not only write for the website, but then to do a lot of TV work. Um, and then it becomes more of a year-round job as, as every year passes. So... How did you kind of adjust to that landscape as a, as a reporter? Well, one thing you know, have to do, and I think this applies much more than, than, than just to sports, um, adaptability. And I know when I teach you know, when the journalism students, that that's the biggest, apart from writing or reporting or interviewing, whatever, no, the ultimate skill is adaptability. And I think we, we need that in every business. I mean, how many people, if you think about it, their job is exactly what it was five years ago? Almost none of them, probably none of them. I know a year before I was hired at NBC uh, or, you know, uh, sports, my job didn't exist. So, you know, two years ago, two years before that, I wouldn't have even said, well, that's what I'd like to be doing because jobs are, you know, it, they are, there's more of them. Um, and as you mentioned with TV, there's so much more between podcasts and TV and and still the, you know, I'll call it the written word, but no, you know, it's not involving paper and ink anymore. Um, and I think there's been a proliferation of outlets, too. I think you've seen that where, I mean, NBC Sports Chicago didn't really exist as a, as a player, you know, 15 years ago, I want to say, or whatever, mm-hmm. but... Uh, so there's been more people able to get into covering the, the teams um, and your skill set. It isn't enough just to be able to just to, to write or report things. And I know the biggest, probably, honestly, the biggest boost, JJ, was, I think, TV. I mean, people got to know me so much. All of a sudden, now you're walking through the on your way to the pregame show or whatever, and, hey, Moon, can I get a picture? And, and you know, you you can relate to your our readers and listeners. I mean, heck, they're why we have a job. So I've always, you know, always make time for them. Um, but I think it, it made the, the media people personalities that were more uh, out there, so to speak. Um, I think that was it. You just, you know, as a counsel, you, you get, get used to being in front of a camera and get comfortable, just talk to people. And I think that's the evolution of the business. Plus, as I mentioned, there's more outlets um, 
than ever, and more people covering, mm-hmm. you know, certain certain outlets in Chicago have two or three people coming. You, 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 Cam, Alice, and I, there was three of us at one point. You know, once upon a time, you'd have one person. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's, which speaks to that bigger picture that the NFL has marketed, realizing, hey, there's a lot of appetite for our, our product out there. What about training camp? Because th- this all kind of goes into, you know, the, the NFL becoming this kind of behemoth over the last couple decades. But how have you seen training camp change? Because you start, when, when you started, you were in Platteville and you were in the dorms there. Yep. And, yeah, and and now it you know it it moved to Hallis Hall when 2021's training camp rolls around. Hopefully they'll be able to have fans there. But it the every year it, it felt like the access kind of got chipped away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where did what what did training camp used to be like? Well, originally, I mean, again, Platteville, you're literally in the same dining room with the players. Um, and in fact, you do your interviews at a, at a, at a lunch table. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, the big big picture for the NFL, I know when, when this is predates me, but I mean, once upon a time, like Don Pearson and, and Danny with Pompey, with, the, the head coach would give you his home number. You know, call me if you need anything. And because they, they wanted, you know, under Pete Rosell, they were really trying to market themselves and become what they became. Um, now... Um, it's a seller's market. I mean, they, the information, um, I, I would almost argue that you know, the teams with their own websites, the media needs the team more than the team needs the media sometimes. So I think there's, that's been a change. Um, and the relationship, I think this is probably this way in whether it's politics or anything else, the, it, it became more adversarial. I think that's, and no reflection on any particular administration or anything like that. But I think the the comfort level fell off. And I think that, like you mentioned, training camp, which was literally my favorite time of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. I, most, I enjoyed the combine because we saw a lot of our colleagues. Um, but I think the training camp was when, you, you know, you could, after practice, you could just, you know, walk back to the dorm or the, 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 off the field with, you know, Akeem or somebody like that. Um, so your relationships weren't as good and, you know, big picture, that's, that's the rich part of the job. Um, I think, you know, the, the teams would rather not have you have that kind of access to the players. And as you say, you're spot on, J.J. I mean, it's chipped away. Um, now it's you know, so tightly managed. Um, I don't know that the public really cares either that, that mm-hmm. Everybody's getting the same, the exact same quotes and the same interviews and that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, the, the relationships with the players, um, as I meant, you know, be, be, be talking about guys that I most remember, it, it, it'd be hard to ha- have those relationships as much anymore, partly because training camp isn't what it used to be. And that's where you really, that's where you kind of sowed the seeds of the beat. If you're going to get to know people, that's where you get comfortable with them. They learn that not everything they say is going to wind up in the paper. Um, so it changed the relationship between the media and the, and the athletes too. But I think that's changed in a lot of sports too. What's one of your favorite memories from covering a training camp? Do you have one? Oh boy. There's so many. <laughs> I know there are so many, but I, I know, and it, I, I'm, it's a broad question because we've talked about a lot of them over the years, but, um, you know, you're, you're a man full of stories. <laughs> And yeah, I, yeah, you know, the funniest thing I just want to me always pops into mind 
was back in actually it was a I think it was a '95 training camp. The Bears had drafted a a D lineman out of I think Miami, Pat Riley, and in the they were you know two, then it was practices would be two a days in full pads. So the second and I thought Riley was coming from Miami. He's probably is it's no stranger to heat. But all of a sudden, it was after one play, and, and poor Riley's lying there, prostrate on the on the field. And you know, ambulance comes over, and, and it's, oh my God, I hope he's going to be okay. And then about literally about forty five minutes later, practice is over, and everybody's heading for the mess hall. And there's Riley, and was what the heck just happened here? And I remember just the players' reaction was so funny. Uh, seeing this guy who literally was oh my God, is, is he dead? And then now he's like sitting there and in, uh, in, going back for seconds at the, at the training table, or whatever. But um, you know, just oddities like that would kind of jump out. A lot of times it would be kind of a goofy play. Yeah, it's hard to remember specific ones. You remember a couple of you know Alonzo Spellman getting into a, a major fight with uh, Andy Heck. Uh, it was a three rounder. It went on for three plays. <laughs> Um, you know, they got they got into it on the one, one play, and then the next play, everybody was like, okay. You know, sometimes after the players mix it up, the coaches will say, okay, you two, get out of here, get, get away. Well, they, they just lined up and ran the next play, and, of course, Andy Heck and, and Alonzo just went at it. Uh, that was like round two, and then there was round three. I mean, it was just like a prize fight. <laughs> and then we were all kind of awarding, okay, I think, uh, I think, Andy's ahead on points, but I think Alonzo's going for the knockout or something. I mean, it was just goofy. <laughs> so it, uh, you know, lots of things like that. Um, and not always funny. I still remember the, the Bill Belichick coming in, bringing the Browns up to Platteville to practice. And actually, I got to know Belichick. We had a connection in Philadelphia. Um, so I saw him down at the uh, owners' meetings one time. It was kind of nice to renew acquaintances. So it wasn't always funny stuff, but it was just oddities kind of things. And uh, and then uh, the Saints came over to practice and watching Willie Rofe just destroy everybody that uh, the Bears sent against him. <laughs> but, uh, and that's the guy that, that people saying, yeah, we could have drafted that guy, damn it. Um, anyway, just, you know, just like, you, know, you sort of remember, remember things like snapshots. It's not a movie. You kind of right. remember, oh, remember that snapshot? Oh, my God, that was hilarious. But, uh, yeah, lots of stuff. And I, this predated me by a year, but uh, Dan Pompey getting into it with Kevin Butler. Uh, and ultimately, I think uh, Pompey poured a pitcher of orange juice on Butler's head over. I think that was the end of the players in the media dining at the same tables. <laughs> it, it was bad. Can, can, can you imagine a reporter pouring a thing of orange juice on a player now? Oof. I think we'd all like to sometimes, but... Uh, Depends on the player. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, changed, but yeah, I mean, nothing stays the same, so... Yeah. You've covered so many players, and I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of them here. You, you've told me some stuff about Curtis Enos, and, you know, I, I know a lot of fans listening to this, I, you know, I was of an age when Curtis Enos got drafted, where I just remember him as just a bust. But there's always a story behind behind it. So what do you, Moon, remember about Curtis Enos and why he didn't work out? Well, the biggest reason was a knee injury. And I don't think people properly, you know, before I declare a guy a bust, 
you know, Kate McNamara, well, Kate had shoulders, for instance. Mm -hmm. A lot of times if there's an injury, it's like, you know, there's an asterisk before you call that guy a bust. Um, and Curtis, um, Curtis, Olin Cruz, who's, you know, certainly an expert on, on this kind of thing, uh, I forget what I was asking him one time. He said, I said, we're, I was doing something on blocking the ability of NFL backs to block. And I said, who? Who in your mind was the best? I didn't even finish the sentence. He said, oh, Enos. I mean, he was he was a linebacker uh, at heart. I mean, he just destroyed people as a blocker. And um, the fact that he had impressed a teammate like Olin who told me something about him. But, but I think people don't remember that he really came in here with a, you know, the, the Bears had taken him with the fifth pick of the draft. And uh, he kind of came in with a, a weird, well, he was a, sometimes a really weird guy, but um, a, a bad attitude. And they really had to break him down and get him to realize that, no, you do have to block in the NFL or you're not going to play. And um, the guy's name, uh, Joe Brodsky, was the linebackers or the uh, running back coach, and him just screaming at Enos at practice. And Curtis finally, and I'm, I'm blanking on the team, I thought it was the Rams and then followed by the Titans. And all of a sudden, about mid-season, Enos was, went to average. Now he's averaging four yards, five yards a carry. And he was looking like that 235-pound sledgehammer that they thought they were getting. And he, I remember, in, I think it was in the Tennessee game, at Tennessee, and Curtis had a knee injury. It was never the same guy. But it was, it was sad because he had finally, I think there was a breakthrough with his attitude and with his playing ability, he, he was so out of shape, they couldn't even leave him in at the end of the games early in the season. And he had developed and really, I think, was starting to really get it. And then the knee injury happened. And maybe it's just, you know, the parent in me or something, or you know, seeing young guys, you know, men or women, just starting on their career. And I thought, oh, man, I felt, I felt terrible for the kid. Um, but I think people don't remember the injury he had. Um, and Rashawn Salam, same thing. Mm -hmm. Guys think, oh, they were just busts. Well, they're not like, and I don't even say linemen can have injuries, but, you know, an old lineman can put on those big leg braces, and it's a lot of straight-ahead stuff. Running backs can't do that, and I think that was the thing that people forget about Enos, how good he was getting to be all of a sudden, and then the knee injury happened, and that's that's my lasting memory of Curtis. And I got a nice relationship with him. Um, I think he's working somewhere in Ohio now in a, a garage manufacturing company or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, not quite the bust because it was just starting to happen for the kid, and then he got injured. Fast forward two decades later, how did what you knew about Curtis Enos and, and Rashan Salam? How did that color how you reported on Kevin White? Oh boy, um, yeah, that, that's a complex one, JJ. Because um, I really knew some things that weren't coming out. Um, that he, they really weren't sure. I think John Fox took a lot of abuse for this. They really did not know if he had a stress fracture. Mm -hmm. They had seven medical people looking into um, looking at the x-rays and five thought it was or whatever, two didn't and they weren't sure. And I think the thing that people forgot about with that, if they knew this was a stress fracture with Kevin, like in you know June, May, June, July, whatever, they would have done the surgery and he would have been back by 1st of October. 
And so I don't think the Bears, I don't think they got treated fairly. They, they may not have handled it well or whatever, but um, I, again, I felt really bad because Kevin was much worse injured much more than people realized. And then it, what was the second year, he got a shoulder, and then yeah. the third year, you know, there wasn't a year that went by that the poor kid didn't get hurt. And he more than anybody, because he was so green, he'd only really had one year at the uh, D1 level. So uh, if there was ever a guy who needed to stay healthy, he was it. But I think there was much more to that injury than people realized. Um, and I was privy to some of that. But um, yeah, I felt, again, there's, you feel sad for a young guy that his career just never gets off the ground. Yeah, I remember when I talked with him last year for a story I did on NBC Sports Chicago. Oh, yeah. He said about that. that was he, great he, stuff, by the way. He, he said, thank you. He said, uh, you know, for people who said I should have just got the surgery, well, like, what person has surgery as the first option? Like, you know, he, he essentially said, like, it was my body. Like, I, I never had surgery. I don't know what I was getting into. Uh, you know, that I think there that you know, there, there always are stories behind the kind of the splashy takes, mm-hmm. right? Um, which kind of brings me to the big question about this Chicago Bears team. <laughs> Why have the Bears not found a quarterback? Yeah, oof. Well, I've seen a couple of them. <laughs> you sure have. Uh, um, even number one picks. I mean, you know, that was a, Harbaugh was, you know, there was a, a number one. Rex Grossman was a one. Um, you know, trading for the Cordell Stewarts of the world. I mean, they were, I think they pulled every possible lever. Um, you know, it's funny, not funny, but you know, I remember Musa Muhammad once after he left Chicago, saying, you know, Chicago is where receivers' careers went to die. I'm thinking, well, it's kind of where the quarterbacks went to their careers went to die as well. Um, you know, JJ, I don't know. That's it's <laughs> why. You know, like somebody once said, well, you know, why are the Chargers so messed up? How can they not be better? It's a place that people want to go, yada, yada. But there's something sort of in the biology. Is that your chemo started? Um, yeah, they're starting me on chemotherapy, so this is authentic stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, there have been scouting mistakes. I mean, obviously, taking, you know, Mitch Trubisky over Mahomes or Watson, uh, there was an evaluation mistake. Um, I'm trying to think of other bad luck. They haven't had too many injuries to great quarterbacks. That uh, kind of well, McMahon was that's a, actually predates me. But uh, if there was a simple, you know, honestly, JJ, if there was a simple answer, they probably would have fixed it. But uh, you know, the combination of poor scouting, some bad luck, and just getting the wrong guys. So. As we are potting here, there was a rash of rumors over the weekend that the Bears were close to trading for Carson Wentz. And I don't know, Moon, that seems like a a really, really risky proposition to me. Trading potentially multiple first-round picks, you know, maybe a player uh, for a quarterback who was statistically one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. Mm -hmm. But... Knowing what you know and, and, you know, with your experience seeing the NFL for the last three decades up close, the the position the Bears are in and the position that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are in to win now to save their jobs, how will that, how could that manifest itself? Could that manifest itself in a good way? Or could that, could that be the kind of thing that 
leads to panic moves that you overpay for something, you overbuy something that then comes back to hurt the franchise in in years to come. Where where do you fall on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good assessment. You know, are, are there going to be panic moves? They won't look. They probably will look like it, but I'm sure they're made with the best evaluation, attention, intentions. But you know, just to pull the camera back, big picture with the Bears right now, they are in such a mess, and it's happened before. I mean, I've literally 20 years ago, um, Dick Duran had had two bad seasons, and it looked like you know he was probably going to get fired if he had a third one. And his offensive coordinator quit to go. Gary Croden went to coach Utah or wherever he went. Um, they couldn't get anybody to take the job of O coordinator. And that's how John Shoup got elevated. Well, now let's fast forward to what's just happened. Chuck Pagano leaves. Chicago is not a destination uh, all of a sudden. I think, and again, no slight intended to the, the coaches, but they just lost their D coordinator, their D line coach, both linebacker coaches. They promoted their safety coach. Not that you know, Sean Desai is um, going to look like John Shoup, but I wonder if they couldn't, you know, who, who could they get to come here? If I'm, a, if I'm a coordinator candidate, I'm looking at Chicago saying, gee, do I want to move my family there for what might be one a one-and-done kind of deal? Um, so to start with the coaching situation, and they're losing Dave Ragone, and they lost their running backs coach, and... You know, kind of. I'm probably even forgetting a few that that left. Um, so the staffing situation is not the best. Um, I'm not saying you know again, no slight intended, but you probably aren't getting the elite assistance anymore. Uh, at least not last year. But then fast now. Let's flip over to players. I do think the Wentz stuff is funny. Like, okay, so trading up for a number to get to get the second overall pick didn't quite work with Mitch so let's get Carson Wentz another number two overall that his team traded up to get um, I don't know and, and Wentz might really work out I mean that would be I find it intriguing because frankly he, Philadelphia's got a moving because it's such an incredible cap hit for them mm-hmm. um, so maybe the Bears just say look we'll take that money off your hands I don't know that they're I don't think they'll do a um uh, Matthew Stafford kind of deal where you're going to write a couple number ones and a player. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure what their options are. And getting to the back to the overall, you know, if I'm a if I'm an aspiring quarterback, would I want to go to Chicago? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you and I've talked about this a little bit. No, <laughs> who, who you know, again? Not that everybody has a no trade has the option of controlling like like Deshaun Watson has. You can veto certain trades, but I'm not sure if I'm a player. Would you want to come to Chicago? Because if you don't win that year, maybe the GM and the head coach are gone. Now, they, they're so out of phase. It's kind of like they were, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, Ryan Pace comes to Chicago and John Fox, and they basically got stuck with Jay Cutler. You know, so, and then uh, should have been able to fix it with the, 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 the draft that they made the mistake on, on Trubisky. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who you know. If every quarterback is dying to come to Chicago, um, or if is Carson Wentz a good risk because of his injury history and the money and yada yada. But I just think they could be in free fall again in a year from now. Yeah, <laughs> that's <It's> uh, promising. <laughs> yeah, optimistic, right. right. <laughs> Where if you're 
looking at this team and, and you're encouraging fans to hope about something, what would you, where is the hope with this team? Is there hope? Are, are there players who you like on this team? Are there coaches you like? Do you, do you think that there is some way out of this for the Bears, out of this kind of 8-8 eight and eight spinning their wheels that doesn't involve free fall for a couple of years? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think we also, just again, not to sound, I'm not, you know, no rooting interest in this, but, you know, once upon a time, I mean, having been through this cycle a few times, you know, isn't it interesting that Chicago is ringing, they're having civic angst over an 8-8 eight and eight season? I mean, there were years, oh my God, you know, cause the last couple of years with Dave Wanstead, Dave's teams went 4-12. and 12. Uh, eight and eight would look great back then. Um, so if you want to have hope, it's like, you know, your team just bottomed out in your mind at eight and eight. That's not so bad. If, if that's, if you've got the talent and I think they have more than they realize, I think finally when they got the offensive line adjusted, and I think we can see how important that was just looking at the Super Bowl. If you don't have an, if my guys knock your big guys back, I'm going to win. And I think when they finally got some changes with, uh, Mustafa at center and, and Alex Bars, you know, somehow they at least stopped their slide with with that group, for example. Now if they can draft well and come up with a, you know, maybe a tackle or, and they get James Daniels back. Now they've got maybe four good guys for the three interior positions. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the route back to positivity is is as long as, as people think again if you don't get the quarterback right you're not going to win um so and, and maybe they get lucky in the sixth round and get tom brady yeah, who knows um but i think you know they're obviously going to have to draft right they, they need to get the ignition switch they just don't as you said earlier you know with how come they can't get it right if they don't get it right again it'll you know there'll be a new new coaching staff here um but I don't, I, you know, honestly, JJ, I don't think it's as far away. Um, you know, when you look at you know, certain players like Eddie Jackson, Roquan Smith, um, you know, Kyle Fuller, you know, they've got decent, decent cornerbacks. Um, Khalil Mack, I can't imagine. I don't know whatever happened with um, Robert Quinn this year, but they should ha- they should be better defensively than they were. You know, not sliding um, Chuck Pagano, but I think if your offense doesn't help your defense by staying on the field a little bit, your defense is going to wear out, and it did. So I don't, I don't know that there is, you know, eight and eight is the the pits that, uh, like I said, when when I started with, you know, Dick Duran came in, and they went, I think it was six and ten and five and eleven his first two years. Well. Uh, not that Matt Nagy was responsible for it, but twelve and four and eight and eight—not too bad. I mean, it, if if that's as bad as it gets, then okay, there's hope for this. Yeah, I don't know that you're going to unseat Aaron Rodgers as long as he's in Green Bay, but stranger um, things have happened. I mean, was, and the funny part—not the, the funny part—but I'm looking at Philadelphia. You mentioned Carson Wentz. One of the reasons Wentz is expendable is because they hit on a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, "Well, hey, how the Bears going to draft a quarterback? They don't pick till twenty, whatever it is." Well, the Eagles did pretty well with Jalen Hurd. And Seattle did pretty well with Russell Wilson in the third round. And um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's as irretrievable as so many 
people were feeling last year. How has just talking football, even if you're not writing about it or going on TV talking about it or podcasting about it, how has that helped you over the last year or 15 months? Oh, I, I just enjoy the game. I, I really have always um, I enjoy good football. I guess I was so looking forward to the Super Bowl just because I'm you know, just I don't have ter- tremendous rooting interest in the teams, but I do have a tremendous interest in the game. So the only frustration was, yeah, just um, you know, between the the cancer and everything else, um, there were things that I wanted to. Oh boy, that'd make a great column. But I didn't have that outlet, so you know, I just sort of wore, wore my wife out every once in a while with, with my, <laughs> my insights and, and boundless wisdom. Um, yeah, I, it just um, it was a, it was an interesting year, I, and there were certain guys I would just stay in touch with at the Bears, and I could say, "Hey, good luck," and why don't you run the table and see what happens? So I could actually enjoy. I don't root so much for team as much for individuals, and you know, certain people I was felt they do well. So, you know, just, but it kind of removed me a little bit um, to not have to, you know, uh, dissect Matt Nagy's decisions or whatever. And maybe he was happy for that, too. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) When you when you look back on your career and making that switch from the mercantile exchange into reporting, um, what what are your overwhelming emotions about it? Wow, just, you know, you talk about things to be grateful for, just lucky, um, yeah, very, very grateful for breaks I had. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, it's, it's sort of, well, actually, I, I, you know, finished, I worked in a steel mill, finished college and stuff, so my, my work experience has been somewhat varied. I was an insurance investigator until I was 30, and, uh, so I mean, maybe my overriding emotion is just how lucky I felt not to be doing some of those jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and, and just like I say, it was just lucky enough to do a job. I get to get paid to watch football. A lot of, a lot of things. We, we were doing a job that people might pay us to do. So or people would pay to do. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of mixed emotions of this past year for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when you you know, I would come into the media room at House Hall and I'd be kind of grumpy about something or be complaining at this player didn't show up to the locker room, you would always tell me, well, Beat's working in the steel mill. And I knew you really meant <laughs> yes. it because you actually had worked in a steel mill. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I still remember it was going back in a lot of years. The, the uh, New York Jets had a, D, a, D, a DN named Jerry Philbin, um, <clears throat> a blue-collar guy. And I think uh, Joe Namath was quoted as saying something, I'd rather, I'd rather dig ditches than settle for that. And, and Jerry's reaction was, I knew right then that Joe had never dug a ditch. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, that, uh, um, you know, I think sometimes we, re- in the business, we rely too much on the quotes from players and stuff. I think, you know, you've done, you know, good writing as well. And there are lots of ways to get information, but, um, and maybe it just, okay. I didn't get so and so, but okay. Let me let me adjust, and that's part of what I think. That sometimes is separates the professional from the amateur is adapting to circumstances that you didn't quite anticipate, or something fell through, and oh, I didn't get that guy, and so forth. But uh, I think it, you rely on your own your own wits and uh, abilities to get past that. 
last one here for you. What's your favorite wine bar on the road? <laughs> God, what's the place in Phoenix? Um, yeah, I go out with Peggy Kaczynski and Jeff Dickerson and, uh, boy, or Alex Marvez. And God, I don't know, I'm thinking more of the, some of the people that, uh, in San Diego. God, I'm not sure the... You know, it wasn't so much wine bars, JJ, it was um, places that had good wine lists. Okay. So, oh boy. You know, actually, no, there, there, there's not even a close second to Burns Steakhouse in Tampa. Their wine cellar was three buildings. Buildings. Um, I think that it's one of the most widely recognized Burns, B E R N S. Um, Apostrophe um, They spent, because I got a tour of their operation one time, and they said they spent about ten or $12,000 just recorking wines. Of some, they, have, you know, they have some vintages that, oh, my God, I, I never, the 61 Bordeaux or whatever. Um, they had things that you only had heard about. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's, that would have to be number one. Yeah, it uh, was a steakhouse and... Um, it was funny because you it may have been you know, redecorated at some point, but you walk in, it was kind of red flock wallpaper. And I want to say it looked like a, like a bordello, but that would imply that I know what a bordello looks like inside, <laughs> um, which I can't do that because my wife might be listening. But the, uh, no, Burns, Burns was somewhat legendary. Um, if, if you're ever in the Tampa area, you can get to Burns. Ask for the wine list. It is unbelievable. That is the last piece of wisdom from Moon we can leave everyone with because there's been a lot of wisdom that you have dispensed here. Um, you know, I, I was sharing with you before we started recording, this is a conversation I was looking forward to because, you know, we kind of had a, a rough weekend with, with the boys where they were being really fussy and cranky and we were stuck inside and I was just like, I, I, I got to hear from Moon because <laughs> every every time we talk, I just feel very centered. Like when when, I, when I got that. when I got laid off, uh, you know, I was talking to you, and, and something that I has stuck with me was you. You said you're you're driving in Northwest Colorado. Let's see if I can get this right. And you hit a deer, mm-hmm. and you went into a restaurant, and the waitress there said, "You know, out here there are two kinds of people: people who hit deer, or people who are going to hit deer." Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I guess I finally hit the deer." And I just felt I like after we talked, you know, I felt I just felt very kind of calm about everything when I got laid off. So uh, I was I was really excited to kind of share your perspective with everyone. You know, it's it's a really tough time for everyone, and uh, I hope that your words can can impact some people because I know they've impacted me. Yeah, it forces us to change direction a little bit, and sometimes I, you won't say you like you know getting laid off at the trip and. You know, coming over to NBC was a great thing. Now, you, you, not too many people are going to say, well, you know, getting laid off is the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, maybe. <laughs> it might turn out that way. <laughs> but it sure doesn't feel like that at the time. And, and anybody, whether pandemic-related or we've all, I won't say we've all been there. But, yeah, like I said, I, that lady put great perspective. I, I hit the deer and <laughs> if somebody else, they're gone. So it, it, it does happen. But I still remember, I don't know if, if you had seen on the wall from, from John Fox, he has something like E plus R equals O or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was an event 
plus reaction equals the outcome. So, you know, you get you get a you get dealt a bad hand or you know something. It's how you react to it, and you can you can throw up your hands. Oh, I'm like this isn't going to work. I well, that's what'll happen. But you know, just got to get back at it, and you know, hopefully, you know, some some good fortune falls, but. You know, I've seen a number of people even leave this our business. Like if people say, "Oh, why would you ever stop being a sports writer?" Well, money or stability. I mean, it's not the most stable business to begin with, as you and I have both found out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how you react to it, and it's how you handle that reaction with your family, with you know, with yourself. You know, when you're lying there waiting to fall asleep at night and you know, looking at the ceiling, and it's like that's when real truth comes. But you know, if you if you kind of throw up your hands, well, then that's what the result's going to be. But uh, and uh, you know, so many of our readers and listeners, we've all I don't say we've all been through it, but too many of us have been through it. And uh, I'm sure we wish good things for all the people that kind of suffered through it with the uh, the pandemic, because a lot of jobs have dried up. Mm-hmm. Well, Moon, this has been a, a really great conversation. Uh, I know I'm I'm thinking about you every day. I'm sure our listeners uh, are it, as buddy. well. Uh, may your your bad days have a silver lining, and may your good days be enjoyed to their fullest. That's my intention. That is my intention. Live the vision, not the circumstances. All right, Moon. Thanks so much for hopping on here, and uh, well, I'm sure I'll be catching up with you soon. Great, JJ. Thanks, buddy. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.